Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win it! Now that's a steal by Burr! Underneath the DJ, right Going up over Bell, ball away! Yes! He does it! At the buzzer, he does it! What's going on, guys? Welcome to an episode of The Dime Machine. You can maybe call this a Dime Machine flashback. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking about two main things real quick. And it's going to be, I just finished the 1971 season in my historic journey where I tried to really figure out who the GOATs are by studying every single year of the NBA and watching every single game I can find from 1956, Bill Russell's rookie year, all the way until the year that I started watching basketball in 2006. And I think I'm going to extend it even further after that to rewatch when I was a real, uh, the, the years of when I was a smaller kid and remember things, but not too well. And right now we are three years into the process, 15 years in basketball years completed 1971 just finished. And I figured I'd make a video because I was planning to do dime machine film breakdown episode six on the night that the bucks won the championship. but Adam Silver is a bitch and the NBA sucks and wants to tear down the history of the game. So they ripped away hundreds and thousands of games off YouTube, including a clean broadcast of the second half of the 1971 finals game four between Baltimore and Milwaukee, the, the game the Bucks won. There is a version of it that's on YouTube, but it has this huge block thing on the bottom that says like bucks fan tv or something something along those lines so it wasn't good enough for me to use for a film breakdown so i figured let's just talk about two things real quick two main things of this video one the 1971 bucks run has a lot of parallels to the 2015 warriors championship so i know there's a lot of people that discredit that warriors championship and i'm going to tell you why milwaukee's championship is very similar but people don't hold the same energy towards that team and Kareem. Why? Because they didn't know about it, right? So the second one is that Kareem is the best player in NBA history through the first two years of his career. That's the two points I'm going to be making in this one. So let me just give you guys some context. If you see my background right now, if you're watching on YouTube, I am at the famous Milwaukee Arena, the home of the Milwaukee Bucks in this time. Now, the Milwaukee Bucks became a franchise in 68-69, right? They were obviously garbage expansion team 26 wins it's either 25 or 26 wins they were eligible to get the number one pick coin toss them are the phoenix suns winner gets the number one pick because they were the two worst records who gets it the bucks and who do they get big lou lou alcindor known to everybody else as kareem abdul jabbar now his name was still lou alcindor at the time won three straight national championships at ucla and is the greatest prospect in the history of basketball i would even put him above wilt chamberlain because of his dominance at the collegiate level with john wooden's ucla winning those three championships in a row albeit with really good teams around him lucius allen um on that squad as well and sydney wicks on that last one 
but it's not just UCLA power Memorial high school in New York. He was killing. So, and when you see the way they talk about Kareem, I remember if you want to see what they were saying about Kareem, his first game, I did that video dime machine film breakdown episode two, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's debut. You can find it and see all the commentary that I'm, I'm pointing out for you guys. The hype around this guy was nuts. And he not only lived up to it, he exceeded that just like LeBron. And in this, his rookie year, listen to this, his rookie year, he goes, 82 games, 43 minutes a game, 29 points, 14 and a half boards, four assists on 52% shooting. He was arguably the best player in the league already. Mind you, we still got Oscar. We still got Jerry. We still got Wilt. And he is arguably the best player. Willis Reed, Clyde Frazier. He's the best player in the NBA already. Wes Unseld, Gus Johnson, Earl Monroe. This guy is showing he is something different. And he wasn't the only all-star on that team, and he wasn't the only player drafted. Bobby Dandridge, the Greyhound, was also drafted, small forward position, and he had a good season. 13 points, 8 rebounds on 48.5% shooting his first year. And then Flynn Robinson, their point guard, had a breakout year. Career highs in every category up to this point. 22 points a game, three rebounds, and five and a half assists on 48% from the field and 90% free throws. And he made the all-star team over Earl the Pearl, even though he was not better than him. But Flynn Robinson and Kareem represented Milwaukee at the all-star game in 1970. And listen to this win increase. One of the greatest in the history of the game. 29 win turnaround. 56 and 26 to finish second in the East. That is with two major additions, Bobby Dandridge and, of course, Lou Alcindor. So you want to talk about great rookie years? Obviously, Magic Johnson won his chip. He was not the best player, though. That would still be this guy. Bill Russell's rookie year is pretty big, but he missed half the season with military service. So then there's Wilt's rookie year, which is honestly on this level. 37 and 27, I believe he averaged and took his team to the conference finals. But I, I, and I'm not saying this as a hater. I'm saying this to you as someone who studied this, the racial quota of only four black guys per team that existed when Wilt was first drafted is no longer a thing. Now there's still a quota in terms of the end of the bench guys. You still need to have some white boys on the roster because the owners are fucking racist. But at the end, you st- most of your rotation is just who the best players are. And the majority of them are black players as you guys would figure. So at this time that Kareem's getting drafted, you get Wilt in the league. You got Walt Bellamy in the league. You got Zelmo Beatty in the league. Although this is the year he went to the ABA, so never mind. Um, but you have Nate Thurman in the league. You have Willis Reed in the league. That's like almost half the centers. And then you have other role-playing centers like Tom Borwinkle, who was seven feet tall. So, you know, Connor Deerking, Mel Counts, these white guys that can shoot, like stretch five kind of guys. But you had your star centers that were in the league, and Kareem is playing against a very talented NBA, in my opinion. And he's coming in and he's dominating right away. 56 and 26, first year. Go to the playoffs, beat the Philadelphia 76ers, led by Billy Cunningham, Hal Greer, Archie Clark, and beat them four games to one, right? I also forgot about Daryl Imhoff. That's another center that's just very average, but really solid role player. And another center I'm not even mentioning that is a biggest, one of the biggest what ifs in NBA history, Bob Rule from the Seattle Supersonics. I think he fucked up his ACL and he was never the same, but he was an all-star in 1970. And his career never pound out because he got uh, panned out because he got hurt. But 
4-1 to the Bucks, right, in that first round. Obviously, since this is their second year in existence, that's their first ever playoff series win. And in that series, Kareem averaged 36 points a game, 16 rebounds, and three dimes on 58% shooting, and he averaged 42.6 minutes a game. So, again, this guy is ridiculous. They lose in the conference finals to the Knicks, who are having their perfect season, their 1970 season. Again, if you want to watch the game that they won the championship, that's Dime Machine uh, Film Breakdown Episode 3. But the Knicks were favored that season. Willis Reed was a great matchup for Kareem, as you can see in Dime Machine Film Breakdown Episode 5, that he is a good matchup for Kareem in two ways. Defensively, he's really strong, so he can try to push Kareem out further from the basket so he can take a skyhook from further distance or his any shots from further distances. And then offensively, he's such a great shooter that Kareem has to honor that. And Kareem's best strength as a defensive player, he's just a fantastic rim protector. He's so agile, and he's really quick off the ground in terms of leaping and stuff. But he, he's not slow foot speed-wise, but he's not the quickest, and he's not always willing to get out there. And Willis Reed, I've seen, he made he made him pay a little bit. But Kareem's numbers in that Knicks series were still ridiculous. I mean, obviously, Willis made life tough for him, and that's evident from the few of the little footage that exists. But Willis was a good matchup. Kareem had a chance in game two, and I read this in a book. It's not available. But he had two big free throw misses in the last minute of the game in a game in which they only lost by five, and Kareem shot six for 12 from the free throw line, which is not great. They lost 4-1 the series. Willis Reed averaged 28 and 12 in the series against Kareem. Kareem averaged 34, 18, and 5 on 55% shooting. I mean, like, if you want to lose a series, those are the stats you want to go down with. 34, 18, and 5 on 55% shooting. And 69% from the line is not even too bad for a center. So amazing first season. Now, remember that Flynn Robinson guy I mentioned? He had a terrible series against New York. Clyde Frazier absolutely embarrassed him so badly to the point where, and I'm I'm saying this, not even bullshit, like going, uh, exaggerating on this. I've never heard of a star getting shut down so bad in a playoff series that you were an actual all-star that year and you are getting benched by your coach in a playoff series. And that's what happened to Flynn Robinson because of Clyde Frazier. <laughs> uh, let's see what his stats were for the series. 11 points a game. He only played 26.4 minutes per game and shot 25%. He got benched in two games. Like Frazier shut him down. The next season, the Bucks trade Flynn Robinson to the Cincinnati Royals for Oscar, who's a t- probably a top five player in the league. I haven't actually done a ranking per year, but he's probably in there. And not just trading Oscar. They traded this guy named Don Smith, who was their, I want to say he was like their power forward, for Lucius Allen, who won two championships at UCLA with Kareem and was a starting, like a third overall pick or fifth, top five pick in 1969. And he played for the Sonics. And also Bob Boozer, who had been an all-star for the Chicago Bulls like two years earlier. And now they have those two guys coming off the bench. So the Bucks, that 70-71 Bucks team I just studied, they were stacked. Like when you when I saw that they got Lucius Allen and Bob Boozer, because I knew about Oscar, obviously, who doesn't, 
But when I saw they got Lucius Allen and Bob Boozer, I was like, oh, my God. Like, no wonder they won the championship. They're, they're loaded. Like, their eight-man rotation is nuts. And so, mainly seven-man rotation. And remember, teams don't play big rotations back then. So, they whooped ass. Like, let me, let me read you some of the fun facts I got in this season. So, like, you put Oscar Robertson with a player that's better than him, and it was like, oh, my, the rest is history, right? They won their first year together. Lucius Allen and Bob Boozer for Don Smith. What a great trade. Let me read you the Bucks' fun facts for this year because there's some great stuff I need to include for you guys. Okay. The one thing I noticed from Kareem, and by the way, the first game of this season, Oscar's Bucks debut, Dime Machine, Episode 4 Film Breakdown. Check it out. Kareem was dunking everything when he had the chance. It wasn't like last season where he was laying it up and shit. He was dunking every from the footage that I got, of course. Remember, I'm only getting limited footage. But in the footage that I got, he is much more aggressive and confident so far. One thing I also noticed is that Oscar was really looking to push pace for the Bucks. They didn't have a very fast-paced team in terms of like pace stats for the year, but when you watch them play, they look to get out with Oscar and then McLaughlin and Bobby Dandridge, really good at running the floor on either side. Dandridge being like a, a really good fill the lane, finish at the rim kind of guy, like James Worthy type, not as explosive as him, of course. And then you got John McLaughlin, who's one of the best shooters of the time. So you got those guys. You also got Lucius Allen if you're playing two guards. And then if Kareem's around the floor, even though he's usually the guy who rebounds and outlets, you know, it becomes even easier at that point. But that's one thing I noticed from that team. And Nate Thurman said this on November 16th of 1970. He said about Kareem, he said he's the best in the game now, and he's going to dominate this league for the next eight or 10 years. It would be a lot more than that. <laughs> and then... Uh, they had a winning streak, right? An initial winning streak, the Bucks. I forgot how uh, how long it lasted. But the coach of the year this season, Dick Mata of the Bulls, he said about Kareem, he's probably the best player alive. He may be the best player who ever lived. I'd sure like to be throwing passes to him. Anytime you get in trouble, all you have to do is throw the ball in the air and he'll get it. So, like, by the way, they had a 16-game winning streak that was snapped by the Knicks. The Knicks beat them twice in a row. And the game in New York was a major choke by the Bucks, who had a 14-point lead in the fourth. So, and like that's, they're, they're showing you now, if you go back to last season, and now if you're talking about early this season, the Knicks are that mental block for them. They're that mental block. Kind of. You know, they have a bad matchup against them. Frazier can match up with Oscar. Willis can match up with Kareem. And then the Knicks have the depth to withstand all the depth that the Milwaukee Bucks have. So all season long, as you heard in the in my latest Dime Machine uh, like podcast episode with Jason and Dr. Hawk, the Bullets rivalry with the Knicks, the greatest rivalry that you've never heard of, I asked in the video, and you can hear it, was the Knicks and Bucks the foregone conclusion to be the finals that year? And Jason said, absolutely. And me studying this season, you know, trying to be as in the dark as possible, not looking ahead and researching until I'm actually on that year. I'm looking at this year as a person in that time, and I'm like, this is Knicks and Bucks all the way. It's going to be a rematch with Oscar in the finals this time because the Bucks got moved to the West. There's conferences now because the Blazers, Cavs, and Braves were added this 70-71 season. So now the Bucks got moved to the West in a Midwest division with Detroit and Chicago all in the West. So the Bucks have to meet the Knicks in the finals to play them. And by the way, 
Let me see. The, they finally beat the Knicks in their third matchup on January 7th. They beat them by 10, 116 to 106. Oscar at 35 points. And they beat the Bullets, a very good team, by the way, that they ended up playing in the finals later by 52 points in a game. 52 points in a game in which Gus Johnson of the Bullets broke the backboard. Then they won 10 straight games, the Bucks Again, another winning streak. And it was snapped on January 22nd. And then they won... 20 straight games, beating the Knicks record of 18 the previous year. They won their 20th straight game on March 8th, and it was snapped by the Chicago Bulls on March 9th. So the Milwaukee Bucks won 20 straight games, but they did lose five out of their last six and were one for four on the season versus the Knicks. They finished with a 66-16 and record, which is obviously the best in the league and really good. But... They lost a quarter of their games to one team, which I think is hilarious. And that's the New York Knicks. And in the in the season, just to, for some context, Oscar played 81 games, career low 39.4 minutes, which would be the most of anyone in today's game, by the way. 19.4 points, 5.7 rebounds, and 8.2 assists, which would be third in the league on 49.6% shooting and 85% free throw, which would be second in the league. Those are career lows in points, rebounds, field goal attempts, free throw attempts, and minutes. Is that because he got way worse? No, because he sacrificed for the team because he understood what it took to win. Oscar Robertson, let me read those stats to you in a little bit more, you know, simplified. 19, 6, and 8 on 50% shooting for a guard, by the way, and 85 from the line. And that's not to show all the little things that Oscar does to make a team better. And then you have Kareem, who played 82 games for a second straight year. Now you're starting to see why he is, you know, why he was the scoring leader for so long. 40 minutes per game, 32 points that would lead the league, 16 rebounds, 3.3 assists on 58% shooting, 69% free throws, improving every category but assists because, of course, Oscar's there now. Insane season. An MVP. He was the MVP of the league. First team All-NBA, he was second the previous year, Willis Reed being first. Second team All-Defense as well. And consensus best player in the NBA. Led the league in scoring, field goals made, second in field goal percentage, fourth in rebounds. I mean, what more can you ask for for your first two years? And this is where the Warriors part comes into play. So the Bucks got matched up with the Warriors, funny enough, in the first round. And they were, I predicted... I make predictions. I don't actually know all these series results. So I make predictions based on like what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling in the moment. And I had bucks in five and it actually was bucks in five because I figured the warriors with Nate Thurman, they have this guy named Jeff Mullins. who's a really good shooter. Then he went to Duke and he's broken out as an all-star the last couple of years. Um, and he, I just figured he'd have one game where he goes off and he had a 30 point game in game one, Jeff Mullins, but the bucks still won by 11 it was actually machine gun Joe Ellis, sharpshooter, who had a 30-foot, and I've seen this shot, actually. It's on, on YouTube. Uh, 30-footer to take a game in a, or no, to win the game. And that was game four at Oracle Arena. Yes, Oracle Arena, when it 106 to 104 to keep the season alive. And mind you, just so you know, that arena behind me, that was the Milwaukee Arena. There were so many different things going on at that time, and basketball, professional basketball, was so not a big deal compared to what it is now that the Bucks couldn't even play their playoff games at their home stadium in the first round. They played at the University of Wisconsin Fieldhouse in games three 
and five. And you know the craziest part? Yeah, they played th- game two at the University of Wisconsin Fieldhouse. They had home court advantage, and in game one, they didn't even host it because it wasn't ready for a second straight playoffs. Oh, my God. So San Francisco hosted the first game. Hilarious. But at the end of the day, the Warrior- the Bucks took care of business one in five, and Kareem averaged 28 points and 15.6 boards in the series, which, yes, it's a little bit lower than his regular season numbers, but he's going up against the best defensive center arguably in the NBA, probably is in Nate Thurman. And yeah, Kareem shot 48.6%. So you see his field goal percentage dropped, but I mean, are you going to tell me that he had a bad series when his team wins 4-1 and he's averaging 28 and 16? So mission accomplished there. Now this is where the Warriors thing comes into play. So there's nothing to me that resembles the Golden State Warriors of 2015 to this point. You know, not the development of the team, not that. For the Warriors, they were all homegrown for the most part. Their core was homegrown. Obviously, they added Iguodala, but it was their second year with him. This Oscar Robertson, he was what put them over the top. So there's no parallels yet. The parallels come in which the way they won their titles. So in 2015, the Warriors played the New Orleans Pelicans in the first round. And that was, let's just say that's their Warriors, you know, for the Bucks. Easy peasy. No problem. Now, in this era, there's only three rounds of the playoffs because there's only 17 teams. So there is no extra round. So this is where you can argue that winning a championship is harder now in that way. Um, But like the Warriors were never going to lose to the Pelicans, right? But that second round, you can say it is. That Grizzlies series against the Warriors, in my opinion, I got to do a whole separate episode on that one day. But I think that series changed basketball forever. And... That was the series the close the Warriors were the closest to losing. And of course, Mike Conley and, and Tony Allen, they had some injuries in that series, but no excuse. The Warriors were the better team because they showed that they could defend at a level that was close to Memphis, but their offense was significantly better with the shooting, the four out, one in thing. And of course, they had the best player in Steph Curry. So they won that series. Now here's where the parallels start. The Milwaukee Bucks in the conference finals played against the Lakers and they were badly injured. Jerry West tore his MCL. Elgin Baylor tore his Achilles, Elgin Baylor. So he only played two games that season and that was basically the end of his career. Jerry West missed 13 games, but he tore his MCL in a game versus the Braves in early March and had to get surgery. So he was ruled out for the postseason, just like he was in 67. And it was deflecting a pass in which he got hurt, I read. So it was basically Wilt. And to make matters worse, Keith Erickson, who was starting and having the best postseason of his young career at this point, also got injured with an appendectomy. So the Lakers were missing three starters in the conference finals against Milwaukee. You know what that reminds me of? The 2015 finals, where they were missing Kyrie and Kevin Love. So Wilt was LeBron in this case. LeBron got two games. Wilt got one game. And the Bucks went in five, but that wasn't even a challenge, right? The, the conference finals was set to be Lakers-Bucks uh, all year long. And the fact that we didn't get Jerry West or Elgin Baylor, at least Jerry West. So now it's just Wilton Gale Goodrich. And Gale Goodrich got shut down, by the way. And he averaged 30 points in the first round. And he got absolutely clamped by not – was it Oscar that guarded him? I think John McLaughlin actually guarded him a lot. I wrote this down somewhere. They said that they gave him occasional double teams. Um, 
but Gail Goodrich's stats in the series were, you know, 36% shooting in the series, 19 points a game. So the Bucks shut him down, but Wilt was a beast, 22 points and 19 boards, but the Bucks went in five because, again, the injury luck went their way. It was a cakewalk. Now, the finals, another injured team in the Bullets, but did you notice something? The Knicks aren't there. And that's the team that we thought all season was going to play them. Remember who we thought was going to play the Warriors? My LA Clippers. The rematch from 2014. Just like 1971 would have been the rematch between the Bucks and the Knicks. With the Bucks trying to take over as the best team in the league now. Golden State, now they're the best team in the league. Beat the Clippers. But the Clippers didn't show up to the party when they blew a 3-1 lead. The New York Knicks didn't show up to the party when they lost Game 7 at home to the Bullets. Now, who has more of an excuse? The Knicks, to me, because Willis Reed was badly injured. Blake Griffin and Chris Paul. Chris Paul missed the first two games of the hamstring injury, but he was healthy towards the end of the series. So we get no excuse. The Knicks have that a little bit, but they still shouldn't have lost at home. Because the Bullets, Gus Johnson only played two games in the series. So the Bullets supporting cash has outplayed New York. And they had a, you want to talk about styles make fights. The Knicks had a great matchup with the Bucks, but the Bullets had a great matchup with the Knicks. Not as much the Bullets. I mean, not as much the Bucks. And so when the, I read newspaper articles from then, when the Bullets upset New York, everyone knew that the Bucks had the chip. Like it was, it would have taken a miracle for them to win. It would have taken Earl Monroe to play out of his mind. Mind you, he got injured in the series. Still played in every game, but he was majorly, like, he had a groin injury. He already has arthritic knees. So, you know, Wes Unsell, Gus Johnson played every other game because he was getting shots in his knees. Like, the point is, the parallels with the Warriors are in this sense, right? They played against a team that probably shouldn't have been there, and they had to, you know, they upset a team that was supposed to be there that would have been the better challenge for the Warriors or the Bucks. That was the Clippers in 2015. And that was the Knicks in 1971. And then the other round, conference finals for Milwaukee. It's the finals for the Warriors. You played against the team that was missing two star players out of their big three. In the Lakers case, there's a big four with Goodrich. Baylor and West are out. Irving and Love are out for the Cavs. The Warriors had the best record in the regular season. The Bucks had the best record in the regular season. What do these two teams have in common? That they won the championship and had favorable circumstances. But you know what they really have in common? That they're champions and that the 2015 Warriors thing is not some one-time thing where Steph Curry and the Warriors got this cakewalk to a ring and nobody's ever had that before. That's not the case. The 71 Bucks had the same favorable circumstances and didn't even have to play an extra round in which the Warriors played a really good Memphis Grizzlies team. So when I hear, and I'm not a Warriors fan, obviously, but when I hear anyone saying, oh, that ring that Curry won on his own, it Kyrie and Love were hurt, it's no big deal. Have the same energy for Kareem, but you won't because you don't actually know that that happened. This is where we debunk false narratives here. As far as the, my final take, Kareem being the best player ever in the first two years, I stand on that strong. Because the Wilt fans are going to say, Wilt, your only argument is stats. Wilt got swept in his second year by a Nationals team that was a lower seed than him. Kareem won the championship. He turned the team around. So did Wilt his first year, though, I will say. But he turned his team around. He already won a championship. I mean, 
yeah, I know he had Oscar Robertson, but he already won a championship and was considered the best player in the world already. Year two, pretty consensus. Of course, Wilt did have Bill Russell to compete against for that. But Larry Bird is another candidate. Great rookie season. Lost in the conference finals, just like Kareem. Came back and won. But Kareem's, I mean, Larry, I'm not, I have to watch the series and stuff, but he didn't even win finals MVP. That's not a knock against him to me, but Kareem is literally like dominating like every single series. So Kareem wins that one. Magic, no, I wasn't even the best player on his team. LeBron and Kobe, it's not even a conversation. Shaq, really good, but nobody. Wilt is a good argument. I will say that. And Bill Russell too. But Will Russell lost the second year and got injured in the finals. And in his first year, he missed out the season with military duty. Kareem played all 82 games, both seasons. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Lou Alcindor. That's the last time you're going to hear Lou Alcindor out of me, by the way. He is now going to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar going into the next season. And I'm so excited to bring you content on the 71-72 season. But let me know what you thought of this episode. Dime Dropper, Dime Machine Podcasts? I still want a name for this, guy. It's just me or other people talking about an event in the Dime Machine. It could be a flashback from just a couple of years ago, 2013, 2008, whatever, or on the timeline. The Dime Line. But there you go. 1971 Warriors and 1971 Bucks and 2015 Warriors. There are some similarities. So if you want to discredit Steph Curry and the Warriors, discredit Milwaukee and Oscar and Kareem as well, if you want to do that. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Best player in NBA history to the first two years of his career. I stand on that strong. Let me know what you thought of the episode. History videos every Thursday for the rest of the summer. Peace.